Thank you guys so much. I mean, you guys are thankful for the team up here and the guys in the back and everybody who works. Such a blessing. Um, Miss Debbie, are you wanting to still do that this morning? All right, come on forward. If I can get the guys, who, you know, people who have uh, joined this church and you're part of the church, I would like you just to come up. We're going to pray Miss Debbie in. She's been here for a year and she wants to join. So we're going to um, just lay hands on her and bless her. So if you guys can come surround her and just uh, receive her into the family and, and um, love on her and welcome her in. Father, we thank you for this precious soul and the prayers that she's prayed for us and for your people. Make everyone come back to the earth with incense and fire. We receive her in. We thank you for sending her to us because she's such a great part of what you're calling for this body to do in this city, in this area. So, Father, may our gifts be hers and hers be ours, and may we walk together, her God be our God and our God be hers, that we walk in, in fullness and love and, and truth with one another. We ask that you bless her, that she be blessed coming in and going out. Father, that she would uh, be the uh, head and not the tail, that she would possess the gates of her enemies. We bless her family, Father. We bless everything she touches to leave the residue of Jesus so thick that those that come behind can't help but to know the presence of the Lord was, was near. We receive her and we thank you for sending her, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't gotten to know Miss Debbie, you need to. Because if you ever want somebody praying for you, She's the one that's always at prayer meeting, okay? <laughs> Find people who actually will pray for you, not the ones that will say they will and won't. Because <laughs> when you find one that's actually going to pray for you, they're going to pray the heart of God for you, and that's a prayer that always gets answered. You may not like the answer, but it will get answered. <clears throat> uh, if you haven't sent your children back, you're, you're more than welcome to. We have... A great group of ladies back there that will that will love and uh, take care of your children. Maybe discipline them a little bit. We won't spank them, but um, teach them the ways of the Lord. Amen. So there's some great people back there. Happy birthday! Yeah, you're welcome. Any other birthday in here? Anybody else? No, just one. All right, Ethan. It's good to see you. Welcome back. Everybody good? Okay, please, please, please hear me. Next Sunday is our last Sunday for 2022. Okay? Aw. We've tried to do services over Christmas and New Year's before, and it, it just doesn't work. Nobody shows up. So we, we want to give you the time to be with your blood and your family. Um, so we won't have service that the morning of the 25th or the morning of the 1st. Uh, we will have every other meeting, though. So if you're missing community in church, um, I, don't, I don't really, I mean, this is kind of church, but I think church is a body of people who gather together in any capacity or number, right? So home group is just as much of church um, as this is. So we have our Monday night home groups. We have our Tuesday night uh, prayer. We have our Wednesday night men's Bible study, our Thursday night uh, uh, um, Yabs and men's Bible study. We have uh, uh, Friday night youth and women's meeting, and there's something almost every night for you. So just because we're not having Sunday morning church doesn't mean we don't need to see you again for another year, right? right. Um, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to get to to do life with you. How many of you guys have ever been to an altar before and someone prayed over you and something broke and it helped you in your life? That happened because of the power of two or more in agreement. Do you understand that? Do you understand that many times that, that thing does not happen on its own? Right. I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen, but many times you need people in your life around you speaking into you something the devil's not. Because many of us, our heads are more geared to hear the negative things that the devil speaks that we think often is the voice of God, and we need somebody else saying, hey, that's incorrect. Yes. Amen? If you've done ministry as long as I have, you know that people hear some weird things in their head and they call it Jesus, and you're like, that's not even scriptural, yeah. right? So we need help, amen, which is exactly what we're talking about in the book of Ephesians. How many of you guys realize the commonality of what Paul's talking about in needing each other from one to six? Tell Justin we said hi. 
we need each other. Amen? The, the gospel is for people. And the gospel is not just a salvific message. The gospel is simply good news. And good news can be a prophetic utterance. It can be teaching. It can be prophecy. It can be uh, apostolic fathering. It can be anything of the fivefold gifts in your life. And it takes another person to be able to be that for you. And it takes you to be that for somebody else. Does this make sense? All right. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going through verse by verse. We, it took us a while to get through chapter 4. I mean, what did we have, like eight parts to chapter 4? I think four of the parts on one verse. Um, and I want you to see how Paul builds his thought until he culminates to the idea that, all, that we're all obsessed with, which is spiritual warfare. Uh, maybe you're not, but the general whole of Christianity is very power drunk. We feel so weak all the time. We want to have some area of our life where we feel like we can dominate something. But the mature understanding comes when you realize that your ability to dominate comes in your weakness. There was no better domination of hell than the cross. And there was no greater point of weakness in Jesus' life than Gethsemane and then what came after. And that was the power that released us from sin is his submission to things that we try to dominate. Do you realize that sin can have a work in your life if you keep your eyes on the Father? Somebody else's sin against you? I think we're trying to create a Christianity that's, that, that is void of injustice. And God will never create such a sterile environment because it is that sin that is against you that causes you to be able to release the love that's within you. That's really good preaching. It takes the sin against you to be able to release that. Everybody says, well, you need to forgive. Do you realize in order to do that, you have to be wrong first? You know, Jesus said that the context of love is to love your enemies. To do that, you have to actually have an enemy. An enemy is not somebody who hurt your feelings. An enemy is somebody bent on your destruction. Have you ever had one of those? Like, I've had people tell me that it is their ministry. They feel like God told them it's their ministry to tear down mine. That's an enemy. And that's where you have to love. <laughs> See, we think enemies are somebody that offended us in church. No, that's just because you're easily offended. And you actually think that tolerance is love. God never tolerates sin, and yet God is love. <laughs> we need to be like him. That's a good segue to verse 1. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. <sighs> there you go. Jesus will never ask you to do something he doesn't give you the power to accomplish. But it's his power that makes it accomplishable, not yours. See, many times we try to go out and do the sayings of Jesus without Jesus, and then we wonder why Christianity is so hard. Christianity is not hard. It's impossible. It was designed to be that way. It was designed to not be able to be manipulated by us in any reality other than the Spirit. So when he tells us, when Paul asks us to be imitators of God or to do as God does, or to live as God lives, right, as sons, it's because we have the ability to do so. See, this is where it gets hard, because everybody's like, why don't I have that ability? Like, this is the crux of Christianity. This is where everything comes down to this, this difficulty, where we have to have counseling sessions and everything, which is not bad. It's just the idea that how do we get from there to, to hear, because we're all trying, right, but we're not imitating Jesus, but let me tell you something, it's very simple, and I wanna, I'll, I'll touch on this briefly, but I really, I would love to be able to, to, to rabbit trail into this, but, but any difficulty you have in being like your father comes from a lack of love in your life, wow. 
See, I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm not saying that. You do. But you only love him to the degree that you love him now. And love is, is, a, is an eternal being. Love is not an action. He's a person. He's an identity. And I've said this about my life, and I'm, I'm working towards it, and I'm not there yet. I'm so far away, in fact, that I don't want to love people. I want to be love to people. Because love in that sense is more than just an action. I want to be, I want to personify it. See, because if I have to choose whether I'm going to love you or not, then it's not organic. Because God doesn't have to choose to be love. He just is. So we have to become the thing that we love. We don't just act on the love that we have been given. That's part of it. But the love we've been given has been given so that we can become what we've been given. When you can be love in your marriage, your marriage will get better. When you can be love to your children, your children will get better. When you hang around love, love works. Love is not tolerance. Love is a person. He defines himself. We do not define him. So if we can't define who God is, then we don't have the right to define what love is. God defined love through the person of Jesus Christ. So be imitators of God. Be like God. Do you realize that was always the objective? <laughs> we were made to be like him. And it was sin that separated us from being in that identity. Do you realize that the command of God to dominate the earth came before sin? Because it's only when we're apart from sin that we can truly dominate. The order of God is, is, is important. It took Jesus restoring that order so we could have a restored authority. But we have to walk in the nature of Jesus to use the authority of Jesus. You can't use the name of Jesus without living like him and expect it to work. This is why we have the conundrum of Christianity. We can't do what we're, we're supposed to do because we're trying to theologically apply what we're not becoming. We're actually trying to use the statements of Scripture we've heard from a man or a woman, an evangelist, a pastor, an apostle, a teacher, a, pro a prophet. We're trying to, to, to theologically regurgitate what we've been taught without it becoming flesh and bone in our life. The people that will move you the most in your life with impact in spiritual ways are the people who have embodied the word they're speaking. It's one thing to speak by charisma and move people emotionally, but it's another thing to speak so deeply that people's hearts are moved and seeds are planted, they begin to grow. Because emotional stimulation through charisma and, and, and that type of preaching produces nothing more than a goosebump that you have to come back for because it doesn't last. You can be as dynamic as you want and you can entertain people all you want with the gospel and it's possible to do that. Once you have, have held a microphone so long, the temptation becomes not doing that. Because you realize how easy it is. Why? Because the human nature wants to idolize another human nature other than its own. Because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's apparently uh, uh, contrasting to themselves at how weak and bad they are. So they want somebody else better to follow. And if we don't point them to Christ, then we will be that person for them. It's easy to manipulate a crowd. All you got to do is wave your arms and accentuate your voice which I'm not saying the Spirit doesn't do. He does. But we need to lead people to Jesus because that's the only way we're going to dominate in life. God gave the command to dominate the earth when humanity was in its purest form. You have to be like the Father to be able to be effective in spiritual warfare. Thus the reason why he puts all the spiritual warfare at the end of the book. I want to keep pounding this into you. I know you think you've heard it, but I want to keep pounding this into you. That you have to understand that how you live affects your ability to war. What's done in the body is absolutely important. I, I, I've been to so many spiritual warfare conferences and different things where they, they teach all this good stuff. And you know what? You're, oh, man, we know. I've heard people regurgitate truths, and it just lands like a flat pancake. On, on just, it's just, it doesn't, doesn't move anyone. Listen, it might have moved you 
But unless it has the ability to move someone else, it hasn't had its full work in your heart. Do you hear what I said? But I've been to these places, and they're teaching people how to be, you know, spiritual warfare giants, but their, their, their wives are a wreck, their husbands are a wreck, their children are disobedient, rebellious, everything's crazy in their home, their finances out of order, they don't tithe, they don't do what they're supposed to do, they haven't done the first things first, and they want to come in and tell demons what to do? Did you realize that the very nature of a devil is to rebel? Like, the very nature of a demon is to defy you, to test you, to see whether or not what you're saying is what you're living, because if it finds any area of rebellion inside of you, it recognizes what it possesses on its own and says, why is what I own inside of you and you're trying to command me? And then we're out there trying to save everybody else into the same garbage that we believe. Why, why would we want to do that? Why would you want to bring people into the same frustration that you have in yourself? Because, see, you can only lead people as far as you've gone yourself. This is why we need the body. You need people in your life who have been farther than you have. Regardless of whether you like them or disagree with them. I have people all the time that say, oh, I just don't like his personality. I don't care. I don't care. You know why? Because I've fought battles you don't even know exist yet. And I don't say that in arrogance. There's people in here that have fought battles I've never fought. And everybody in here needs each other because there is a demon out there looking for an angle into your life. Do we focus on that? No. But we be imitators of God, and then when those things show up, they have to bow. Amen. Do you realize what kind of spiritual warfare Jesus did? You know, it's, have you read his life? And this is the pre-cross Jesus. You know, the post one's coming back. When you read your Bible, you're studying the pre-cross Christ. You understand that, right? He's different. <laughs> The one that's coming back is not the letters in red. He's the same but different. We saw one side of the coin, the other one's coming back. When he goes into a foreign area, do you realize that when Jesus went to Gennesaret and he went across the sea there and that storm happened, do you know why that storm happened? Most people don't understand the theology of what's going on in that story. They just think it's a good, cute idea for us to be able to say, just keep your eyes on Jesus in the storm. I mean, we should do that. But do you realize when Jesus said, go to the other side, he was telling his people to go into a Gentile demon-possessed area. According to the Hebrew understanding, God himself owned certain pieces of land, and there were other pieces of land that were given to the, to the, basically to the demons. And God always reserved Israel for himself. And so when Jesus told those disciples to go across that boat, that had never been done before. Not in that capacity. And they're like, what? So, so they're over there obeying, and then the storm comes, and they're like, of course it's coming, because we're going into hell, and this is bad. Like, you told us to go, and now we're getting attacked and beat up. Yeah, everybody ever been there? <laughs> See, Jesus is contrasting our ability versus his. See, we're struggling to get to the other side and beat certain things in our life, and Jesus is just... He's walking along this, this thing, and he comes in. He calms the storm. He tells everybody, look, what I've told you to do, I will be with you through it. It doesn't mean you're not going to get attacked along the way. So how did he do spiritual warfare? He literally puts his foot on the ground, and demons come running bow to him. <laughs> he didn't have to bind and loose nothing. The presence of God in a person has already bound and loosed by them being there. What did God tell Joshua? Whatever, wherever your foot goes, that's the land I will what? Give you. What's the Hebrew word Joshua? It's Yeshua. When Jesus walked across that place and possessed that land, literally him just being there was an act of spiritual warfare. This is why it's important of how we live our life. See, if you live your and I'm not talking about legality. I'm talking about obedient love. Because if you obey from any other power than love, you're just producing legalism. This is why I said any ability that we have or inability that we have to be like our father comes from a lack of. All sin present in someone's life comes from a lack of. You can't break commandments 2 through 10 unless you break number 1 first. 
you have to break number one to break the rest of them. And if you break number one, you'll treat everybody else the way you've treated God. Because the rest of the commandments, like three through ten, are all about how you treat other people. You realize the majority of the commandments God gives us is how we treat others? This is why the second commandment is like unto it. Love your neighbor as you... See, we've divorced that idea. In American culture, Christianity, we feel like how we feel should take precedence. The Bible says that's not the mind of Christ. How much of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church is horizontal? The greatest percentage. Have you read 1 through 5? Have you, have you read it? How much attention he puts on how we treat people? Why? Because that in itself is spiritual warfare. See, we think spiritual warfare exists in the heavenlies out there. Yeah, Paul says that those things are out there. But you guess what? How do they operate? <laughs> Same way God does. Through people. The, the, greatest, the two greatest forms of spiritual warfare you'll ever engage is discipling someone long enough to renew their mind. Yeah? And loving them no matter what it costs you. Because if you can disciple somebody to the point where their mindset begins to change, the demon loses access to their physical abilities. If the devil has no one to move through, he has nothing he can accomplish. So my loving you is an act of spiritual warfare. Me helping you renew your mind is an act of spiritual warfare. See, I'm not shouting at the devil right now. I'm helping you think a different way, which is removing the ability for the enemy to move in your life. It's very simple. He says, be imitators of God. In Genesis 1.26, it says, then God said, listen to this, this is amazing to me. Let us make man in our image. Now, that first one, I can preach a whole different topic on that, but we're going to stay away. Help me. Let's make man after our image, after our likeness. You know, I, I don't know. My, my brain doesn't work like most people's, which is scary to some people. It's scary to me sometimes. <laughs> but I, have, I read that one day. I'm like, well, why did he call us? Like, we, just, we just assume that that's our name, man. You know, why, 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 why did he name us that? Why do you use that word? See, don't ever assume anything in the Bible. When you read something, ask, why did God do that? Some things you'll never know. But when, when God decided to call us man, mankind, male and female, he used a word that it is a root word to the, to the Hebrew word that means ruddy or red-faced or blood blood in the face because we were always supposed to in our face represent the power of his life always we were created for other people to see him in our face What the intention of God is should be the pursuit of the man that was created. Your life was not created so that you can finally feel better about yourself. Your life was not created to grow up and pay your taxes and die. Your, your life wasn't even created so much so for your marriage or your children. Your life was created so that whatever you do that you show people the face of God. Whether in your work or your marriage or your children, that they would see the face of Yahweh Elohim in you. This is why sin is so dangerous, because sin would never find its way into the face of God. Do you know that every sin that the enemy tries to put into your life is an attack on God himself? Because if the enemy can manipulate the image of God to do something that God would never do, he not only hurts the heart of God, but he mocks the face of God. 
through us. This is why the blood needs to be present to repent of sin. Sin in human flesh is the mockery of God. Because you, who have been chosen by God to bear his image and his likeness, are operating in something that God would never do. Because you are his, whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, if you claim the name of Christ, you are his representative. And how many of you guys know somebody in the world that doesn't want to be a Christian because of a Christian? Do you know you'll be judged for that? I'll show you here in a minute. Be imitators of God. Be like God. Why? Because people's lives depend upon it. Your life depends upon it. The life of the church depends upon it. The glory of God rests upon that reality of you completing that by his power and his nature. Let us make man to show blood in the face, to be dyed red. Where do you think you got your blood from? From him. You know, the dominion wasn't given until they were most like, the most like God. And when Jesus came back and gave us power over all power, of principalities, authorities, it's because we had been made like God again. And if we've been made like God again in Jesus' mind, and we don't live that way, we'll be judged for it. it listen, listen, let me, let me please tell you the truth. Please, hear me. Like, I, I don't want to manipulate anyone into salvation. If you don't want to get saved, man, I'll love you and be your friend for the rest of your life. And if you die and go to hell, I'll, I'll be there. To, if you want me to be, I'll be there till the end. Because here's what I believe. It would be better for you to not say you're a Christian And to live like the devil. Than it would be for you to say that you're a believer. And act like the devil. For your sake. I'm asking you. If you live like that. Stop telling people you're a believer. For your sake. I'll show you why. We need to develop the nature of Jesus. You've been given it, but now it has to grow and mature. See, that's one thing modern Christians don't understand. We think that just because we have the Holy Spirit, we don't need anybody else. Yeah. When you have a child, the DNA and the spark of life that came from God is in that child. They have everything they need. They're a complete, full human being. They're just not mature. And there's certain things that you can't do out of certain seasons. And so babies can't create babies. I'm not saying that you can't get somebody born again. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But how, how, how effective is it for a teenager to raise a young person? It's not very effective. It can happen, but there's a lot of damage. This is why you need leaders in church, because you have people who have, have know how to do these things, and they can help train you and teach you into raising people up in the Lord. Because I've watched people disciple people, and they mean well, but they don't realize that they're bending people a certain direction. And then after a period of time, they wonder why these people have gone that direction. I want, I want you to read a couple of verses before we get into... Um, I'm just going just gonna to kind of give some more context to this. 11, uh, Leviticus 11.45, this is the Old Testament where God's saying, look, I'm the Lord who brought you out of sin to be your God. I brought you out of sin to be your God. So, because of that, be holy because I'm holy. 
In other words, be like me because you can. Now, he goes into a whole lot of lists and types and foreshadows, and we're not going to get into that. But nonetheless, God basically begins to say after that, don't live a mixed life. Don't partake of two tables at once. Be reserved unto me. Right? In 1 Peter 1, 14 and 16, it says, live as sons of obedience. But do you understand if you tell somebody that who's not in love with God, they're going to go out and try and fail? How many of you tried to obey without God? Or how many of you have tried to obey obey? For God. <laughs> he doesn't need you to obey for him. He needs you to obey with him. Because he is the spirit of obedience. You need love in your life. You need the love of God and strengthened in your life so that way you can obey. See, the more you love, the more you listen. The less you love, the more you rebel. It's real simple. I can look at somebody's life and tell you exactly how much you love God. It's simple. You may tell me all this stuff. You may try to snow me with your theological eloquence, but I'm not going to listen to it because you have an aura about you that the world calls an aura. <laughs> and I can tell, people can tell, we, we can tell. You don't have to be spiritually mature to tell it. Man, this person's saying all the right stuff, but something inside of me is just turning. <laughs> you ever been there? It's like, man, it's not moving my heart. This is just a bunch of legalism. Or when you have to sit there and listen to somebody for 25 minutes tell you how spiritual they are. You ever been there? Those are rough conversations. Hey. I'm glad you're so great. Pray for me because I'm not there yet. He says, live as sons of obedience to God. Don't conform yourselves to the evil desires. Do you realize that's telling you that as a Christian, you're still going to be evil? What? Desires. People, th people teach people that once you get born again, that you'll never have that stuff ever again. That's a, that's a lie. If it wasn't, if, if it, listen, why would, it, why would, we, why would the, the Lord tell us that one of the gifts of the Spirit was self-control if we weren't going to have issues to control in our flesh? See, some people are waiting for God to do what he's asked them to do, and, and God's waiting on them to receive what he's already done. And so it's like this weird place where both people are waiting on both people. We're wanting God to do our part, and he's already done his. It's one thing to receive by grace salvation and the gift of God by the Holy Spirit to become a son of God, but then you have to do your part to work that out, and we're expecting God to do that for us. No. You have to obey. And somebody who has no responsibility and very little love will call that legalism. Because we just want to be babies for the rest of our life. I, that's nice. Like somebody stick a bottle in my mouth and I just lay there and take a nap. That's my dream. <laughs> Heaven's going to be like anything. It's got to be close to that. I know we're not going to need sleep, but I think there's going to be naps. I think Lindsay likes that part too. <laughs> he says, don't conform yourself to evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance because you did not know the requirements of the gospel. Did you know the gospel has requirements? See, we've confused a life in love with God and obedience for salvation with grace. And we think all of it's just supposed to be this free ride. No, Christianity is the literal hardest thing you will ever do in your entire life. The easier it gets, you'll find that the correlation is, is that you're more in love. Verse 15, but as one who called you is holy... You yourselves should also be holy in all of your conduct and all of your manners of living. Why? Because you represent God. Like, I know we don't feel very good about ourselves, but God likes us a lot. 
So much so that he didn't take his spirit from you. He didn't change your identity. He left you in his image, even when you're under sin. He allowed himself to be defamed and disgraced through you and me and still never made us look any different. For it's written, you'll be holy as I'm holy. Let's go to another one. Matthew 5, 48. Jesus says this, you must be perfect. Now, that word literally means complete or mature. Perfect doesn't mean without flaw. That's our American definition. God's definition of perfect is complete and mature. Okay? Jesus says you must be mature and complete. Growing into, this is the Amplified, growing into complete maturity of godliness in mind and character. Having reached the proper height of virtue and integrity, just as your heavenly Father is complete and mature. See, Jesus tells us, you must be perfect. Because I am. Do you realize that him saying this is not a legalistic issue, it's an invitation issue. (laughs) He's saying this because I want you to be like me. I want you to be like me and fulfill the destiny I've created for you, which is not a fat bank account and a mansion. It's my glory resting in your face. The invitation of God to be holy, to be perfect, to be complete, growing up into maturity. Do you guys understand how powerful the human body is? Do you understand that what you do in your body affects everything around you in your marriage, your kids, your finances, your work, the spirit, the spirit realm. See, do you understand that the reason that mankind got damned in the first place is because of a deed done in his body? See, we want to think spiritual warfare is all out there. No, it has a lot to do with what you're taking in here. Unbelief, doubt, hate, judgment, criticism. You're taking all that in. You're taking in something God himself would not take in. And then you're confused at why your marriage is a wreck because that's all you're giving out. You become the accuser of your wife or the accuser of your husband. And that's really close and similar to acting like the accuser of the brethren. You think that because your accusation is accurate, it's truth. No, it's a lie from hell because it's not done to give life. It's done to bring forth condemnation. Telling somebody what they did wrong never fixes anybody. (laughs) Has that ever worked for you? See, if you walk with me for a long time and love me and be there for me, and then you come and say, hey, I think this is wrong in your life, I I might listen. But if I don't know you and you walk up and try to give me a spiritual rebuke, I'm going to smile real nice and tell you thank you, and then I'm going to let you go along your way, and I'm going to throw it in the trash. That's how it works. I don't let people rebuke me who don't know me, and you shouldn't either. John 1.12, whoever believes on him, he gave them power, the Holy Spirit, to become the sons of God. To be like God, to be like your Father. Do you catch the the rhythm here that Paul's saying? Be imitators of God. Why? Because you can. Because you have his spirit. Because you bear his identity. And you need this where you're going in the spiritual warfare in your life. He tells you to act like God before he tells you how to treat your wife. Why? Because if you act like God, you'll know how to treat your wife. Why marriage is a wreck? It's because you've never put any investment into it. See, people don't want to hear that. They feel like, no, you don't understand what I've done. Listen, that's the problem. If you try to serve somebody out of your flesh, you know how you know when you're doing that? You expect something back. If you expect something back, that that wasn't a pure offering. That's manipulation. This is good marriage teaching. You serve because God serves. God serves you every single day, and he never expects anything back. He expects anything back, but he doesn't make you. He's not doing it to get something back. He's doing it because it's who he is. 
Jesus didn't go, oh, I'm going to wash your feet because I know that I'm going to get something out of it later on. He did it because it's who he is. We need God to move through us in our marriages. Marriage is impossible without God. That's why so many of them fall apart. See, God, God wants restoration and unity in his body. He sent Jesus to remarry us. Do you know he, he divorced us in the Old Testament? Do you know that? But he didn't go find a new wife. Yeah, I have people all the time say, oh, divorce is okay because God divorced Israel in the Bible. Yeah, you have a problem there because he went back and remarried his original spouse. Thank, thank the Lord that he did because you and I wouldn't be here. You know that the communion was his proposal? You guys have sat under my teaching, you know that? The Last Supper was him proposing back to Israel again, saying, I want you as my wife. See, obedience without love is the root of religion. Your problems come when you have a lack of love for God. When a lack of love for God exists, there's the vacuum is filled with sin. Because you were meant to be satisfied. God created you to be satisfied. He created you to be satisfied. The problem is, is what you're satisfying yourself with. That's why lust is so powerful in the flesh, because it satisfies you temporarily. That's why food is so powerful to the flesh, because it, only, it satisfies you just temporarily. You were made to be satisfied. It's not an impure thing to, to want to be satisfied. It's just what are you being satisfied with. That's why drugs are so powerful, because it satisfies you temporarily. That's why women get so uh, man drunk thinking that they need somebody to satisfy them in their life. And then that only satisfies them temporarily. I mean, we all love our spouses, but it's not what we thought it was going to be. Amen? And some people are like, I ain't saying nothing. You're probably wiser than I am. I just have a good wife that I won't get in trouble for that when I get home. Exodus 20. You know that in Exodus 20, God gives the Ten Commandments. And the first one basically is to love him. Put him first. And if we don't do that, we don't have the ability to do the others. That's why Jesus re-clarifies that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which only comes from him, not you, and then I'll take care of everything else in your life. Show me a bad marriage, and I'll show you somebody who's putting something before God. Show me kids out of order, and I will show you somebody who's putting their kids as an idol before Jesus. Now, I'm not saying when they get older, if they go off and do stuff, that's, that's not your fault. You guys hear me on that? Like if you raise a kid, they're supposed to go, and they come in the age of accountability, and they come off and on. It doesn't make you a bad parent. You did, you did your job. But if you didn't do your job, then that's on you. Thank God there's forgiveness, but you're going to need grace to have those kids turned around. Sin has consequences. Nobody likes to hear that today. Gosh, we want to have a gospel that has no consequences. No, there's consequences. There's eternal consequences. There's temporary consequences. There's, there's semi-permanent consequences. I still bear, bear consequences in my, in my body, you know, from being in sin. Just, there's consequences. You know, if, you, if, you, if you have this spirit of gluttony over your life and you eat and eat and eat and eat and eat, and you gain 400 pounds, and then you repent, and you quit eating so much, you still have 300 and some odd pounds of excess. That doesn't go away because you repent. There's consequences. You do certain things to your body when you're young, you're going to have consequences. You do dumb stuff, there's consequences. It's just the way it works. It's the same way spiritually. We, but we think the gospel takes all consequences. No, the gospel takes away sin. The consequences from sin you have to work out in your life. There's consequences to bad thinking. There's consequences to believing the religious devil. There's consequences to those things. Does this make sense to you? 
We have to be like God. Why? Because if we're, the more we are like God, the more satisfied we're going to be because the less sin is in our life. And we don't focus on sin, but we do have to fight it. Look at verse 7 in Exodus 20. If you can turn there, uh, Jared, if you can find that. Exodus 20, verse 7. Uh, I've taught on this for years, and I guess I haven't taught on it recently enough. Um, I heard somebody talk about it on Facebook the other day, and I thought, well, maybe I can bring that back. But I usually do this in more counseling sessions. But you have to understand what God is trying to do and say here in the very beginning, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that you take God's name as a cuss word. That's not what I'm saying. But that's not what this verse means. I mean, you guys ever thought that that's what it means? That's not what it means. Now, don't use his name as a, as a curse word. That's not healthy and it's unbiblical. But that's not what this verse means. This verse means this. You shall not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain. In other words, you will not call yourself a believer in God and live differently. That's what it means. Don't call yourself, in modern terms, a Christian and say you're a follower of Yahweh Elohim and not live like Yahweh Elohim lives. Why? Because the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name, who bears his name, who bears his identity in vain. The original intention of God was for you to bear his identity, his characters, and nature. And to bear it to where it brings forth fruit. That word vain means fruitlessness. It's bringing forth nothing. It accomplishes nothing. Jesus wanted us to go bring forth fruit. In the beginning, God said, go be fruitful and multiply. Multiply what? My image, my face upon the face of the earth. It wasn't just having babies. That's, that was part of it. It was that you create people who live and show the world oh, who I am. This is why it says you train up children. This is why Paul talks about how to train children in chapter 5 and 6. This is why the Bible talks about these things, because your children will be the next generation of defining God. And they'll define him as you've taught him them to define him. Your children will not define him differently unless God moves upon their heart himself. But the idea is is that you teach them how to define God to the next generation because you won't be there to do it. You will not bear the name. Be imitators of God. Why? So that you don't take his identity, right, to the world and say, this is what God looks like. This is why you get convicted whenever you like maybe maybe you're on a job site or maybe you're having a frustrating day and then maybe you let out a curse word or something that happens and the Holy Spirit strikes your heart instantly. It's not that what you said so much was the problem. It's that you have identified now with something God would not. You've responded in a way that Jesus wouldn't and that's what makes the Holy Spirit sad. Right? So why is Paul talking about this in the beginning of chapter 5? Because at the end of chapter 4, what does he say? Don't grieve the Spirit. Because when, how do you grieve the Spirit? By taking God's name in vain. Did you see the context of flow of thought? See, we're the ones that divided up the Bible into chapters. Paul, it's one simple thought. Don't grieve the Spirit. Context, read a little farther. How do you do that? You live like Jesus. You, be, you imitate God. Because if you don't imitate God, you're going to grieve the Spirit. You follow me? Are you with me? Is this making sense to you? See, America seems to think that believing something in our mind is enough. And living has very little to do with spiritual reality. But no, the Bible says in, in Corinthians that, 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 that God's going to judge you for the deeds done in your in your body. He's also going to judge you for the words that you speak in the body. Why? Because he believes you are his representative. 
He's not just up there going, I'm going to watch everything you do wrong and judge you for it. He's like, no, you bear me so deeply. I gave you all of me. I gave you my precious life source and my spirit, and I gave you my son, and I gave you my life, and I gave you my blood, and I gave you my image, and you're responsible for that greatness. And you just think you're you. No, you are like your father. This is why when you act like the... The old man, your father, the devil. It's a problem. First John 3, 1. I'm going to read this, so bear with me. What an incredible quality of love that the Father has shown us. That we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. See, when you look at it like that, when you get into that woe is me garbage, it, it's kind of hard to, to, to believe that when you're in that mess. And so we are. The reason that the world does not know or recognize or acknowledge us is because it does not know, recognize, or acknowledge him. So my question is, is why does the world know and recognize, acknowledge us so much? Because there's too much of them in us. Let me say it this way. If you live the life of Christ that God has planned for you, you're going to make more people mad than you are going to make friends. You're going to be less accepted by the culture than accepted by the culture. Do you get that? Jesus said, don't don't wonder or marvel when the world hates you. I remember a, a great preacher one day who had gotten some award given to him because he was such a dynamic and impactful person and they they gave him this award he came up on the stage and everybody's standing and clapping and he's just weeping and he receives the reward he steps behind the microphone and he said what did I do wrong he said the gospel's offensive he said Jesus said that the world would hate you Why am I so accepted? But that's what we want. We want to go out there and preach the gospel and be accepted by them. No. Some will, some won't. Most won't. But we we get all in our head and upset when people don't accept us. Why? Because you think too highly of your Adamic flesh. Most people don't accept me. They don't like me. I'm okay with that. Here's why I'm okay with that. Because I used to beat myself up over who I was. Literally. Literally punch myself. Until God finally said one day, it's not you they don't like. It's the part of me inside of you that they hate. And so now I know that if I see somebody who doesn't like that part of me, it's, it's, I, I feel sorry for them because it's, the, it's a part of God they don't like. But it's also a part of God they're going to have to live with for eternity. And if I don't like a part of you, I'm not talking about a fleshly part of you, but the part of God, that God the gift that God gave you, if I don't like that, then I better learn to because I'm going to live with it for forever. Right? He says, the reason the world doesn't know is because they don't know him. Beloved, you are God's children. One day it will be made clear what we will be, but we know that when he comes and he's manifested, we will see as God's children resemble, be like him, for we will see him just as he really is. Everybody who has this hope, this is where I want to get back into where I was talking about, everybody who has this hope of being like God, Purifies, cleanses himself, just as God is pure. Do you realize in the Old Testament, David had to pray, purify my heart, O God. But in the New Testament, 1 John says, you purify your heart. See, we're asking God to do what's our responsibility. Because your heart is deeply connected in the Hebrew sense to your mind. What does it say? Renew your heart mind. God's not going to do that for you. 
If you want to keep thinking devilish thoughts, you're going to have devilish reactions. So how do you purify yourself? You renew your mind. You start thinking like God thinks. How does God think about everybody else, not yourself? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is it? To think about others, to esteem others higher than you think you esteem yourself. Do we live this way? Some of us are growing into it. Some of us weren't even conscious of it. Our whole spirituality was about us and our morality and what we wanted and what we wanted from God and our prayers and our prayer requests and our little four no more, our family, our ministry. But the entirety of what God says that his mind is is that you're more concerned about anybody other than yourself. This is how we purify ourselves. So he says everybody who wants to see God like this, to be like God, everybody who has this desire inside of them, they purify themselves just as he is pure. Verse 4, everyone who commits or practices sin is guilty of lawlessness, rebellion. Don't read 1 John if you don't want to be convicted. He says everyone who practices or commits sin, practices sin is guilty of rebellion. For that is what sin is. It's lawlessness. It's breaking and violating God's law by transgressing or neglecting or being unrestrained and unregulated by his commands and by his will. You know that he appeared in a visible human form and became man to take away sin. Because in God is no sin. Go back to Hebrews 5, or Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of in God there is no I wanted to get this out of the way because the next verse is three down through, I don't know how far, Paul starts talking about sin. Why in the world is a preacher of righteousness under apostolic authority? Do you know that he's the one that set up the Ephesian church? Like what happens if you had Paul actually set up your church and he stayed there and, and, and brought pastors and leaders in and set up the organization under the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of New Testament glory and power? Do you think there would be any sin in that church? See, that's where you're wrong. Because Paul has to start talking about sexual sin to Christian people. Why would he even have to do that? Because they're not imitating God. They've allowed it to come into their midst through the culture, and so have we. Do you know how many pastors out there will say nothing to two people cohabitating in their church? And if you're doing that in here, you're in sin. Well, we love each other. No, that's not love. And it's totally not blessed by the Holy Spirit. Just laying that out there. I will not condone it. I've had people that do that ask me to marry them, and I say no. Not until you repent, you go through counseling, and you stop it for a while. And then we'll deal with this, and then we'll go from there. Because you're acting like the world, and God cannot bless that. And if there's one thing you need your marriage to be, it's blessed because it's hard enough as it is. You know that there is no sin in God. No one who abides in God, verse 5, who lives in God, who remains in communion with God in obedience, deliberately knowing and habitually commits the practice of sin. No one who abides in God who habitually practices sin, is from God. First John says they're of the devil. Did you hear that? If you go read that verse in a different uh, translation, it says, he that commits sin is of the devil. That's what it says. That word commit is a habitual practice of. So if you see habitual practice of sin in somebody's life or your own, you know that they're not born again. But they've had an experience. They came to the altar. They encountered the presence but never submitted to the power behind it. The Bible is very clear that the presence of God falls on people, just and unjust. And I can't tell you how many times. 25 years of pastoring, I've watched people come to the altar and get blown out by the Spirit of God. 
I mean wrecked, fetal position, gut-wrenching, snot-crying to the, to the deepest degree. Feel so enlightened and full of peace afterwards, and they go back out and walk right back into the filth they walked into. And because they had an experience with God dating them, they think they're married. Do you know that the Holy Spirit will date you for a long time trying to get you to say yes? But the blessings don't come until the marriage comes because that's where the inheritance happens. But people would rather date the presence of the Lord than marry Jesus. Because when you marry him, then there's requirements, right? It's like the saying of the world that men have, why buy the cow when I'm getting free milk? And that's what people do. Like, oh, I go to church and then God touches me because the Lord's there and I go back home and I live how I want through the week and then I come back to church and feel better again. John says, whoever does this type of thing is not from God. He doesn't have the life of God abiding inside of him. Why? Because the life of God despises and sin. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't certain things that we wrestle with, but there should be this. If you're wrestling with a specific sin in your life, there should always be an, an extreme hatred for the sin that you're fighting. If you love it, you better beware. No one who abides in God practices sin. No one who habitually sins has either seen him or known him, recognized him, perceived him, or understood him. 2 Corinthians 5.10 We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive that which is due for what he's done in his body, whether good or evil. Because you know this, verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known also to your conscience. The last, oh man, it's such a powerful verse. Did you hear that? Look at that last, after that comma. This version says this. It says, what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known to your conscience also. In other words, you can't fake who you really are. God knows that, and I hope you know it too. If you're right, then good. If you're wrong, you better know it because God knows it. And if you don't know it, you're deceived. Do you, do you, let, me, let, me, let me just say this. It takes somebody else in your life to show you where you're deceived. Because every area of your life right now that you're involved in, you think you're right in and you don't think you're deceived. Has anybody ever walked up to you and said, hi, my name's Chad and I'm deceived? <laughs> anybody ever said that to you? Hi, my name's so-and-so and I'm deceived. Because people don't think they are. It takes someone else to show you where you are. And if you're not humble enough and have people around you enough that you can trust and a community around you enough that you can trust, you're going to be left to your own opinion of yourself, good or bad. Both are dangerous. Only his matters. It's amazing. I have people that I show them the scriptures. I show them the scriptures. Like, like this is what it says. And they walk out going, I just don't believe in that. I don't believe, I don't believe that's true. Well, I don't think God meant that that way. Because they're deceived. You with me? So he says, he says, be like God, be imitators of God. And then he gets to verse 2 of Ephesians 5, so we just got through verse 1. And he says, walk in love. Live in love, or live like God, love like God. But that's for next week. Do you see how he builds his thought? Do you see what Paul's trying to say? Because where Paul's going next is that if you walk in love with people, you're not going to commit the sins he's about to say that if you do, you don't go to heaven. Do you, do you realize that there's a list of sins that as a Christian, this book was written to believers, to believers, not, not unsaved people. There's a list of sin that applies to believers 
that he says, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom. Make sure you're not doing any of those. You say, well, my salvation is secure through Jesus. Then you take it up with God. Why? He puts that in several places in the New Testament. It says, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom. Some people will say, well, that means, that means the kingdom, but heaven's different than the kingdom. And I would ask them, why are you okay with missing out on any part of it? That's a terrible thought to even think that way. Selfish thought. Well, you know, I'll still go to heaven. I may not go to the kingdom, but I'll still go to heaven. What a terrible thought that you would want to be separate from any part of it. That just shows me how much in love you're not. But that's my opinion. Walk like God. So I'm going to close with this thought, right? If you're having a hard time walking like Jesus, ask him where you're not in love with him in that area of your life. Because once you love him like that in that area of your life, the only thing you're going to want to do is obey. God will always show you where you don't love him quite enough yet. It doesn't mean you don't love him up to the point you're at. It just means that's not the the full measure that he wants you to love him with. If sin is present, it's because of a lack of love. Or the excess of love in a different category called the flesh. Which is even harder to say because it means you love yourself more than you love God in that moment. But there's grace. There's There's conviction. There's repentance. Yeah? Anybody wants to be like God, what does he say? He who has, anyone has this hope, he purifies himself. Purify yourself. Lay before God and say, sort out my heart and help me renew my mind and let me love you with all my heart. Convict me of the things that are wrong in my life. Put people around me to hold me accountable. Let me walk with you, Father. Amen? Does this help you? Yes. All right, everybody stand. I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. Because I don't want to leave anybody feeling like they're stuck. If there's sin in your life, if there's an area of your life where, I, if anything I've said today that has caused you to ask yourself, "Man, man, I need, to, I need to, I need to, I need to love Jesus more in this area of my life," then I just want you to close your eyes right now and just everybody do that and just say, "Father, forgive me and cover me with the blood of Jesus." Because I'm sorry for living in a way that does not reveal your glory. You created me to be the manifest expression of your life. Forgive me for sin. And Holy Spirit, show me where my love needs to grow to be able to obey the way you're asking me to. Be patient with me. Be gracious to me. Help me. Because I can't do this without you. But I want to do this. And I don't know how. But if you'll lead me, I'll follow. Please forgive me. And lead me in your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for coming, guys. We have uh, discipleship meetings tonight if you want to come. Otherwise, we have all of our meetings throughout the week. Get with somebody. We'd love for you you guys to be with us.